All right, I'm going to I'm going to begin a, a four part series called the journey, and um, we'll be that'll take us right to the end of the month, including even our anniversary Sunday, which is uh, the third, like two weeks from today. Uh, but uh, uh, that's that. This is where we'll be. And today's message is entitled simply "Seasons," and it is that text we read today, "Seasons." Um, do you, any? I wonder if you know what a labyrinth is. Um, Labyrinth is this ancient maze-like pattern. Uh, I'll give you a few examples. Uh, there are different forms. Some of them are done with bricks in the ground. Some of them are done like that, and or they're painted in places like that. Uh, but a labyrinth, um, have, uh, labyrinths have been used for centuries by Christians and, and non-Christians as this kind of meditational aid. And um, so it's a series of, again, of curved pathways, uh, and you begin on the outside and you walk uh, t- towards the center, and then you walk back out. And as you walk the labyrinth, you pray, you meditate. And uh, many people have reported that as they have walked the labyrinth and prayed and meditated, that they've had visions or received answers from God to their problems. And, and there are a lot of Christian churches um, that use uh, labyrinths as a, uh, the labyrinth as a meditational device. There was actually a Presbyterian church not too far from me that uh, for a number of years had one, and they mentioned it on their sign out front. I went and looked at it one day. I didn't walk it. But it looked kind of like this, you know. Um, and there, there are evangelical and biblical Christian groups that that have developed the procedure of walking a labyrinth. That's 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 Christ-centered, and and some believers are concerned that this kind of syncretistic that Christians shouldn't use this because it has you know some pagan connections, because it's a religious tradition that predates Christianity. And, and certainly, there are those that would practice walking a labyrinth that would place more emphasis on walking the labyrinth than on, on, on the one to whom they're praying, right? But whatever you believe about uh, this tradition, and then this, this is just to make a point, the one thing that makes the idea of walking a labyrinth so, so, so powerful is this. It's this powerful metaphor that illustrates the reality of this one thing, that life is a journey. You see, Life is not a series of, of non-sequiturs. Life is not a bunch of unrelated events. You and I, my friends, are on a journey. And as soon as we realize that we're on a journey, we gain this whole new perspective on our present situation. Once you realize that you're on a journey, life begins to take on renewed meaning. When you begin to accept that all things, because you are a child of God, Everything in your life has purpose. And that experiences come and go in our lives for a reason. You can learn to say, as people have said, and you hear this, it could be a cliche or it could be real, this too shall pass. Now, I've been a Christian a long time. And I've learned a few things, thank God, over the course of my Christian experience. First of all, I've learned to ask myself, what can I learn from this experience? I've, I've learned to become more patient with other people, uh, knowing that because I'm on a journey, that others must be on their journey as well. And so, you know, that leads to the next thing I've learned. I've learned since I'm not the author of my journey or the journey of anybody else, I can't be judgmental about where others are on their journey. And you and me, we might be on similar journeys, but at different points along our way. And so instead of being judgmental, maybe what I need to do is to encourage 
other people along the way. And I, I think that's what church is all about. And that's what my role and my, 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 my calling as pastor has been all about. Recognizing life as a journey, this is not, catch this, it helps me avoid getting stuck in any particular moment of life. So understanding that life is a journey means that, number one, I can enjoy the moment, but I shouldn't get stuck in the moment. Or I can hate the moment, but I need not let that moment define me for the rest of my life. It's God's intention that you embrace and enjoy the journey. You really, as a Christian, you're supposed to enjoy life. Did you know that? There's something wrong with our Christian experience if we're always angry and distressed and, 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 and mad. This is what you are to do as a child of the Most High. You are to bless God even in difficult times. Doing this is only possible when we understand that we're on a journey, and the journey that we're on is the will of God for our lives. And so the book of Ecclesiastes helps us to understand life as a journey. And Greg read it for us a few moments ago. And Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 12 is a passage of Scripture that even many non-Christians are familiar with. It was really gratifying because I prepared this message well in advance, but to hear President-elect Joe Biden last night quote parts of it in his speech. And it says essentially this, and Greg read the whole passage for us, and we'll reference this, but here's, here's the crux of the matter, if you will. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Now let's get a little backstory here, because Solomon is, 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 is traditionally agreed upon as the author of the book of Ecclesiastes. But, but Solomon, as the book of Ecclesiastes, raises a couple of interesting questions. If you look at the 11th chapter of 1 Kings, it says that Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord in his later years. And so the question would be, why, why would God allow the wisdom of someone who did evil in his sight to be included in the Bible. Not only that, but when you read Ecclesiastes, if you read the whole book, it seems to reek of pessimism and cynicism. Someone made the observation that it almost reads as some, as if some comedian like Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle or somebody wrote it because it's just so that, you know, that cynicism and that, and that pessimism that, that comedians sometimes come at life with. And then Solomon says things like this. He says, what happens to the man who works hard all his life? And uh, what happens to the man who doesn't work hard all of his life? And, and, but wait, here's the punchline. They both die. I was like, wow, that's very encouraging today. <laughs> he writes things like, the race isn't given to the swift or the battle to the strong. And we said, but to those who endure to the end, right? But when Solomon writes it, he says, what he really meant was, life doesn't make sense. The fastest person doesn't win the race. The strongest person doesn't always win the fight. And so he concludes, all is vanity. Everything is meaningless. And so in a sense, Solomon seems to be saying to us that, uh, that, uh, that nothing is worth living for. Nothing is really worth doing. So Solomon concludes the book by saying this, in essence, just trust in God. But here's the essence of what Solomon is really saying to us right now. And as we read the text before us, if there's anything, I, I think we would give this from Solomon, if there's anything you can learn from my life, it's this. Don't get caught up in the various moments of your life. In essence, life is a compilation of good and bad experiences that don't always make sense. In the moment, they don't. 
But if we put our trust in God, all of life's experiences work together to accomplish God's will for our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I can understand how Solomon became somewhat of a cynic. Solomon was a politician. He was a king, right? He, and he, he tried as a, as, as a politician to, to gain the international influence that his father, David, enjoyed. But he was not as charismatic as David, and so he, it, was, it was more difficult for him. And so what Solomon did was to use shrewd political alliances to extend the borders of his kingdom. You ever wonder why Solomon had so many wives? It wasn't just because, you know, he could get his Mac on real good, but it's because uh, uh, he, whenever he made a tr- treaty with another country, the country would give him wives to seal the deal. And so Solomon had acquired a whole bunch of wives due to all the political schemes with the countries around him. It's kind of like this. When you play politics all your life, and you don't have to be a politician to play politics, you know, you know what I mean? tricking and scheming to make life work instead of allowing the will of God to govern you, your life. Life can wear you out. So Solomon says, don't get caught up in what you want to do and in what happens to you. Don't get so caught up and in such a rush that you miss the blessing of the moment, the blessing of the day. Just trust in God. Through all of the cynicism and the pessimism through all of the all of the internal doubts and all of the philosophical musings solomon gets it down to that basic basic thing just trust in god and so he says there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens and so what i'm getting at today is this that life is built around seasons Seasons of sorrow and seasons of joy. Seasons of good times and seasons of of difficult times. We walk easy roads and we walk difficult roads. Now, I I I hope you've carefully listened to the text as it was read this morning. And some of you may have struggled. You may may have cognitive dissonance when you hear lines like, a time to hate and a time to kill. But see, understand that Solomon's not writing prescriptively how things should be or how we're supposed to live our lives, but, uh, but Solomon is writing descriptively. In other words, this is how life works in the real world, whether we like it or Excuse me. Give me one second here. I'll be right back. Uh, I'll be right back. Y'all need to stay muted when I'm preaching, okay? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, okay. You get what I'm saying? It's, 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 Solomon had lived a long time and he had learned a lot of stuff and he's describing what happens in life and what he's seen. For example, in real life, there, there are times of war and peace. That, that's descriptive, not prescriptive. Solomon's not suggesting that war is a good thing, nor is he saying it's something we're to, to promote or embrace. He's simply acknowledging this, that war happens. And, and so the, this list of occurrences that, we, that were read to us this morning, uh, they can happen in any of our lives. I mean, yes, you know, even save, saints who are saved, sanctified, and filled with the precious Holy Ghost and that with a mighty burning fire that people used to testify when I was coming. Even to folks like that who seem, who seem to be so on fire for God, they are not impervious to the winds of life. Everybody experiences trouble. And too many Christians run. Too many Christians run into hard times. And you know what? What they're really quick to, to, to ask is this: Why me? 
And when you ask, why me? You know what happens? You get stuck right there. The real question should be, why not me? What's so special about any of us that, that no hurt or harm should ever come our way? Of course God loves and cares for you, but in the context of his providence and, the, and his permissive will, he will sometimes allow trouble to come into your life. And the reality is this, that even out of trouble, he can and will produce character in you. <laughs> you see, God is working on this person called you. And it takes a bunch of things to, for, to, to build this person called you. It takes your mother and father. It takes your formal and your informal education. It takes the good times and the bad times. It takes the sunshine and the rain. And all of these things conspire together to make the person called you. Now, I, I don't know if you realize this, but there's a gap between where you are and where God wants you to be. And, and uh, getting there is going to include some good stuff and some tough stuff. Child of God, you may feel like your life has spun out of control. And these have been some, 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 some crazy times. And I, I, if, if you feel that way, I, I totally uh, sympathize with you and, and I can relate, right? But you remember that clay in the hands of the potter in, in Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah made that observation. God took him up to the potter's house to watch that whole process. And, and you remember the, how that process goes and how you work that clay and how even when you, when you mess up, you, you work it again and put it back, back on the wheel. And so listen, you may feel like you've been smashed and kneaded, not N-E-E-D-E-D, but K-N-E-A-D-E-D. You may feel like you've been smashed and kneaded and squoze and, and spun around on the wheel of life, talking about got me going around in circles. But know this. And I think that this is a wonderful day to re remember this truth. God is making something beautiful out of you. That's the journey. So understand life as a journey. And to understand that it requires learning some of life, life's lessons along the way. Let me give you a few this morning. Number one, there is a lesson in every season. Now, we've just come through a we're celebrating today changing seasons. We have in, in, in the world around us, and I don't have to go in, in depth. Y'all know what I'm talking about because we've been through a season that's been, for a lot of us, confusing and dark. We're still in the midst of a season of COVID-19, but we've just, in one area of our, 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 our experience, we've experienced a change of seasons. There's a lesson in every season, but going to the next level in your life depends upon learning the lesson from that previous level. And you've got to learn to say this. If God has allowed this thing to happen in my life, there must be something I can learn from it. Because the word of God tells us in Romans 8, 28, which was so beautifully read for us by Tammy this morning, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We don't learn the lesson by asking why. We learn the lesson by giving Thanks in all things. First Thessalonians 5.18, Paul says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, you might feel stuck. You might be wondering why you can't move on in life. Maybe it's because you're trying to avoid the pain, trying to avoid learning the lesson where you are. God has you in school, my friend. We're all in school. We're in the school of the spirit. And until you learn the lesson, 
There's no social prom- promotion in this school until you learn the lesson, until you learn to appreciate and praise God in the midst of where you are, you can't move on to the next level, to the next season of your life. So listen, child of God, listen to me carefully this morning. I encourage you to start thanking God in the midst of whatever is going on in your life. But there's more. We understand, you got to understand this. Seasons come to an end. Somebody's glad about that this morning because you, if you're in a season that's not so pleasant, you are eagerly awaiting the end of that season. And, and thank God in our lives, we've just experienced a changing season. Seasons come to an end. Ecclesiastes 3 t- teaches us that we, this, that we need to learn to move on from one season to the next. That's what he said. There's a time to be born, time to die. There's a time to plant, a time to pluck, to harvest what is planted. There's a time to kill, kill and a time to heal. Time to break down, a time to build up. And so you need to know how to move on. You can't always allow yourself to get stuck on either the mountains or the valleys. On this journey, you want to keep moving. That's, that's the objective of the journey. Now listen to this. Follow me. Some Christians get stuck and they allow the worst days of their lives to define but some Christians get stuck and they allow the best days of their lives to define them. But you are more than either season of your life. You are more than one season of your life. Listen to me. If you can't move forward, if you seem stuck, it just might be that because you're still allowing the bad things from your past to define who you are. Maybe you were once in jail, but now you're not in jail anymore. Society may not not want to let you go, but you can let yourself go. Maybe you've been through an acrimonious divorce, but that doesn't have to define the rest of your life. You are not damaged goods. Maybe you were strung out on drugs, but maybe today you're clean. Guess what? It's time to move forward. Maybe life has been difficult for you. But God has already forgiven in in your past what has been hard for you to forget. Don't allow yourself to be stuck in a past season. Because on this journey, we got to know how to move from one season to the next. We got to learn how to keep moving. Got to move on. But there's another side to this. Never allow yourself to be defined by the highest moment in your life either. You might be someone that God has used powerfully in another season of your life. But maybe, maybe that's not the season you're in right now, but you're living as if that were just like yesterday. And I don't mean to demean or downplay the wonderful things that God may have done in you or through you in the past. But, but if, if it's over, it's over for this season of your life. Maybe, maybe you achieved success in some field or some, some endeavor in years past, but that time has passed. But you may be still clinging to that past success, even though that season of your life is, is long gone. Might be part of your resume, but remember that what you do is not who you are. And even more importantly, you got to remember that you're neither the best thing in your life nor the worst thing in your life. So don't allow any season of your life to define you, and don't let others define you by the seasons of your life. You remember what Paul said in Philippians 4.11, right? You remember that, right? I didn't think so. Let me remind you. He says this. I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Now, this is essentially what Paul is saying here. I've learned how to handle all the various seasons of my life and to rejoice in each one of them. (laughs) This is the same Paul, if you read in Acts 28, after he shipwrecked, he's on the island of Malta, 
and they're the native people. And, and what happens is he refuses to let these people, uh, their definition of him define him. Uh, he was putting wood in the fire and this, this poisonous snake, this viper, jumps out of the, the, this pile of sticks that he put on the fire and it, it bit him. And it says, and I think the King James, it, it affixed itself to his hand. And, and so these people who were, you know, pagans, they said, oh, my God, he must be a murderer. They believe that bad things happen to bad people. You know how it is when something goes wrong in your life and you say, oh, it must be your fault. You must have, you must have did something, right? But, but check this out. So that's, on the other hand, he, you know, by the power of God, Paul shakes that snake off and he doesn't die. And they're looking at him like, then they change their opinion to another extreme. And say, oh, he must be a god. Paul refused to be defined by neither of those. And people will always say you're better or you're worse than you really are. Sometimes don't you just wish people could just see you for who you are? But they tend to get it to one extreme or the other. They see you for better or worse than you are. And if you allow people to define who you are based on what happens in your life, then you're in for a rocky ride. You're in for a tumultuous experience. But there's one more thing that we've got to do in response to this, is that we've got to punctuate the seasons with praise. This is a, this is a, this is a secret for us moving on and, and also for us enjoying our journey. Notice that in Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon decides that the only thing, and you get this to the end of the book, he says, the only thing that really matters in life is to do good and rejoice. In other words, whatever I go through, I can come out of it praising God for what I went through because I know this, that I'm on a journey. And if I'm on a journey, that means God led me this way. And if God led me this way, I know that God will lead me through this. I, I told you for many weeks, I said, listen, we're, we're in the midst of this thing, but God's going to get us through it. It's going to get us to bring us out on the other side. We're not on the other side yet, but we're on a journey. We're going to get through it. And if God has led me this way, I know that God will lead me through this. And if we go through this, there must be something that, that, that I am to learn from this. And I can come out of this thing. I can come through this season with something new that I've learned from God or something new that I've learned about God or learned about myself, something new that I've learned. And, that, that, and then I'll be ready and in better shape to, to handle the next season of my life. Listen to me, family. I've learned how to praise God when I'm on the mountain. Yes, I have. I've learned that. But even more important, I learned how to praise God when I was in the valley. I learned how to praise God in the midst of the struggle. When trouble comes my way, that just tells me that God is getting ready to, to, to initiate, to launch a new season in my life. When I see things coming my way that I know I can't handle in my own strength, that just means that God is getting uh, ready to teach me something new. And I'm going to be all the better for it. So I praise him and I thank him for the mountains. Yes, I do. Amen. And I praise him and thank him for the valleys because I know this and I'll say it in the words of an old song. I don't believe he brought me this far to leave me. Turn to your virtual neighbor, slap him a virtual high five and tell them in virtual language, I don't believe he brought me this far to leave me. But for real, for real, if there's somebody around you, tell them this, he didn't bring you this far to leave you. Or say it to remind yourself, God didn't bring you this far to leave you. I'll tell Charles, Charles, God did not bring you this far to leave you, to forsake you, to abandon you. 
And so as we bring this message to, to, to a conclusion, just lift your hands and give God a, a little bit of praise because he's with you in all the seasons of life and on every inch of your journey. Aren't you glad about that this morning? Aren't you glad that he did not bring you this far to leave you? Amen. Now.